All right, all right, all right. If you have your Bibles, grab them. John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is where we'll be today. The lovely Miss Rachel is going to read for us. The words will be on the screen as well. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man 
also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. hate it when my wife calls me. It's not because I don't love hearing her voice or love talking to her in the middle of the day, but when I get a random call from her, I panic. My first question is, who's bleeding? Is everybody okay? Is everybody all right? I immediately panic. My mind goes to the scariest, worst possible places. Why is she calling me? She doesn't need me. What's wrong? Because nothing prepares you for the type of phone call that you get when, when you answer the phone and the tone of the person's voice immediately tells you there's something wrong. Many of you have had that phone call. Many of you have heard and have, and have dread those words or hearing those words, I'm so sorry, but so-and-so is no longer with us. I'm so sorry, but so-and-so was in a wreck and I don't think they're going to make it. I'm so sorry, the doctor said mom has cancer. I'm so sorry, but grandpa just never woke up. See, pain and suffering and death is something every one of us in this room have gone through and will go through again and again. And when you walk through suffering, so often it feels like your heart is literally being ripped apart. And it feels like your whole body goes numb and the tears won't stop coming and yet you feel like you can't feel and it's this whirlwind of emotion. It is what some have described as the the dark night of the soul. In the midst of loss, in the midst of pain. For some, for some of us, It is in those moments when we get that call and we go through those times of trials, it is exactly our faith that gets us through. It's our faith in the tender mercy of Jesus that we cling to that gets us through. But for others, it was those moments of suffering, those moments of pain and those moments of loss that made them lose their faith. Did you know that pain and suffering is the number one reason people walk away from the Lord. That going through trials of pain and experiencing loss and heartache and suffering is the number one reason people lose their faith. It is what philosophers have called the problem of evil. And they they formulate it like this. They say, God is all loving. God is all powerful. Evil exists 
Therefore, there is no God. Because either God must not be all loving because if he was all loving, he would stop my suffering. He would not want me to endure this. Or two, God must not be all-powerful because if he was all-powerful, he would stop my suffering. So either he's not all-loving and he doesn't want to stop it, or he's not all-powerful and he can't stop it. And if either one of those is true, it must mean that there is no God. Because how could God allow suffering and evil and pain in this world? This, brothers and sisters, is the number one reason people leave or never come to the faith. And our text this morning, I think, directly addresses and answers this age-old question. Can God exist amidst a world full of pain and suffering? So there's two main objections to the existence of God in light of suffering. We're going to examine them both, both problems. Is he all-loving? Is he all-powerful? And can evil exist? One, I can't believe in God because a loving God would not allow these bad things to happen. God wouldn't allow suffering to happen to me. And since I am suffering, since I am in pain, it must mean that God doesn't love me. Our chapter opens up with Jesus learning this sad news about his friend Lazarus. He learns that Lazarus is sick and Lazarus' sisters Mary and Martha sent this message to Jesus. And their hope was that Jesus, they know Jesus, that Jesus would have immediately come and healed him, healed their brother. They know that they knew that Jesus had the ability to do that, and so they send them this message, your friend is sick, and they want him to come and heal him. Because they know if he shows up that their brother will be just fine. And so Jesus receives the message, he gets word, Lazarus is sick from the sisters, and his reaction to the news is striking. According to verse 3, Jesus loved this man. Jesus loved Lazarus, he was his friend. And so you would assume that Jesus would get this news and say, guys, pack up. We got to go. We got to get there. We got to get to Bethany. We got to go meet Lazarus. Or you would think, you know, Jesus has done this before, that he would get the news and go, all right, he's healed. We take it. Let's go see him. And just heal him from a distance. Because isn't that what a friend would do? Isn't that what someone, if you love someone and they were sick or they were hurting, they were on their way to death and you had the power to heal them, isn't the loving thing to do to heal them? Isn't that what we would assume Jesus would? I mean, Jesus has healed all these other random people. Like Jesus is on his journey. He's just seen these people who don't even necessarily believe in him. Blind people, lame people, deaf people. And he's just been healing people left and right. So you would think when Jesus' friend, this guy he loves, is sick, that he would heal him. That he would do whatever it takes to heal him. And so, but, but his reaction is striking. Jesus gets the news. That his friend is sick, he gets the letter, his friend's sick, and he's deathly ill, he's very, very sick. And what does he say? He says, okay, guys, everybody, Lazarus is sick, so here we go, we're going to stay here two more days. Huh? Imagine the bewildered look, the puzzled look the disciples would have had. I thought Jesus loved this man. Well, clearly it seems he doesn't, because Love does not want friends to suffer. If Jesus learned this news of his friend's sickness, why would he delay two days? So two days go by, and after the two days, Jesus then tells his disciples, okay, guys, it's time to pack up and go see our friend Lazarus because now he's dead. What? Why don't we leave earlier? Why are we going now? He's dead. Why are we going to go now? It's too late. 
that the disciples listen to their master and they pack up and they go and they head to Bethany. And when they get there, they get to the outskirts of the, of the town, of their home. And while they're still on the outskirts, Martha learns that Jesus is there and she goes and she runs out to meet him. She's grieving her brother's death. She's crying. There's all these people there and they're crying and they're mourning and, and they've just buried him. And she hears Jesus outside town. She goes and rushes to see him. And the first words out of her mouth, Verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. See, she's grieved because Jesus, he gets there late because she believes with all of her heart that if if he would have just gotten there on time, if he would have got there a little sooner, he could have said a word, he could have put a hand on him and he could have healed her brother and he would have been fine. But amazingly, Martha says, if you would have been here, he would have been healed. And she immediately follows that up with this profound statement of faith and trust and belief. She says, but I know that you are the Christ, the Son of God. In the midst of her suffering, her faith remains true. But here's the problem. Here's the accusation that some would make. They might say, you see, Martha put her faith only in the things she knows. She believes that Jesus did his best that he did what he could, that had he made it on time, he would have healed him, but he couldn't get there, even though I'm sure she knows he tried. But how would Martha have felt if she knew that Jesus delayed his coming for two days? That Jesus could have done something, that it was within his power to do something. He could have made it on time. He could have got there. He could have healed her brother, and yet he chose to wait two days and not make it in time. If Martha found that out, how would she react? Knowing that God could have saved her pain and suffering, yet chose not to spare her the pain and the suffering of losing her brother. Is this not the exact experience of so many in the world today? That there was a time when people maybe believed in God, but when, when, when on the cusp of tragedy, when so-and-so was in the hospital, when they got the bad news and they got their phone out, and they called everybody, said, everybody pray. They posted in the, in, in, on Facebook, everybody pray for so-and-so. They're in the hospital. They're fighting for their life. And God, please heal them. And he doesn't. He, instead, the person is met with silence and death and despair. And as so often they do, they walk away from the Lord because in their mind they think, you know what? If the Lord really loved me, he wouldn't let this thing happen to me. If there really was a God who was all loving, he would have not taken my mom from me. He would have not taken my baby from me. If God really loved me, he would not have allowed my spouse to die, my dad to die. My grandpa to die. And so God must not be real. In their heart, they say, God had the power to stop this. He chose not to. So it must mean he doesn't love me. It must mean that he doesn't actually love us. Because how could a loving God do that? See, if Martha knew of Jesus' delay, she might have reacted that way. We don't know. But we know many today do. Jesus really loved me, he, he would have done something. He wouldn't have delayed. He would have came straight away and fixed it. 
If Jesus loved me, he wouldn't let me suffer. It's the story of so many. It's the story of Jennifer. Jennifer was a normal mom, had a little, little baby girl in the house, two years old, and they were going to a normal checkup. And everything was fine in her mind, but the doctor spotted something he, that was unusual to him, and so he wanted to run some more tests. So they went back, set up a time for some tests, and they went back, and they got the tests, and they found out their little baby girl had leukemia. So they panicked, and they were sad, but they came out with a plan to fight it, and, and they did all the treatments, and they went to all the things, but nothing seemed to be working. And that caused some fighting in her marriage, and her and her husband began to fight and to grow apart and grow bitter at one another. And the tests continued to come, and the treatments continued to come. Many nights laying in the hospital again and again and again, until one day their little girl was gone. And she was left with a marriage that was in shambles. She was left with medical bills stacked higher than she could imagine. Eventually, she got a divorce because she couldn't look at him anymore because every time she looked at him, she was reminded of her. So here she was, and her life that was once beautiful and great has now hit rock bottom. No husband, no house, medical debt, no daughter. And it was in that season of her life that she said, you know what, God, you must not be real where she once went to church and once knew the Lord and once followed him and once served in her church and led in women's ministry and did all of these things, she said, it must not be true. And she left. Why would God let this happen to me? Why would God allow me to suffer like this? I just cannot believe in a God that would allow this to happen. Brothers and sisters, this is the tragedy, the tragic story of so many. That when faced with great pain, faced with great suffering, their conclusion is that God must not love them. Because if he was all loving, he wouldn't let this happen. This is a huge problem for people, and it might one day be a problem for you because suffering is coming for all of us. And this morning, what I want you to know is that in the midst of suffering, you can be certain that in spite of your suffering, God loves you. We see this immediately, the way Jesus acts with Mary and Martha shows us so clearly that he loves them even though they're suffering. In verse 33, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her were also weeping, he was, listen to this phrase, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Hold on to that. And he said, where have you laid them? And he said to him, Lord, come and see. The shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35, says, Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. See, so here is Jesus, he's watching these two women bawl their eyes out, they're grieving, they're hurting, they're broken in pain and sadness, and what does Jesus do? But he enters into the suffering with them. He hurts with them. He says he is weeping, he is crying, he is mourning and hurt, gut wrench hurting with them. Lazarus was his friend too, and, and, and he, he's lost his friend. 
But not only is he weeping and mourning with them, but that phrase I said, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. In the Greek, there is a a word picture going on there. And it is this picture of a horse that is angry. Have you ever seen a a horse that gets mad or scary? What do they do? But they they jump up on their hind legs and they buck and they kick their back legs and they they blow out with their snout and they get mad and they buck and they buck and they rage. And so what Jesus is experiencing Experiencing here with his friends who are mourning the loss of their brother is the rage of a bucking, angry horse. Jesus is angry and upset because when Jesus created the world, when he spoke it into existence and said it was good, it had no death in it, no pain, no suffering, no sickness in it. And he is lamenting and raging against the fact that the beautiful, good world he made is in shambles. And his friend is dead. Jesus stands here weeping over the loss of his friends. and He's bucking and he's raging and he's angry. So when you are walking through pain, when you are in the midst of suffering, when, when you are in the dark night of the soul and you feel numb and the tears won't stop coming and you are grieving and you are angry and you are mad and you are upset and you are raging, the first thing you need to know is that you are in good company with Jesus. You are in good company with the Son of God. Here's the point. Jesus is not indifferent toward your pain He is not indifferent toward your suffering. See, just because Jesus did not supernaturally clap his hands and make the pain disappear, make it stop, prevent it from happening, doesn't mean he doesn't love you or doesn't care. Jesus identifies with our pain. He understands our pain because he has suffered. Think about it, guys. God became a man. He became flesh. So Jesus knows what it is like to experience pain and experience suffering. He knows what it's like to to mourn the loss of a friend. He knows what it is like to get sick. He knows what it is like for his friends to betray him. He knows what it is like to be falsely imprisoned and accused. He knows what it's like to be tortured. He knows what it is like to be put to death. He knows suffering. So he can identify and understand our suffering. He is well acquainted with it. He is not indifferent toward yours. It's not as if God is standing up in the heavens saying, oh, yep, they're suffering. Okay, no big deal. No, he intimately gets it. He understands it because he's been there too. Because the whole reason he came was that he might suffer for us. Jesus entered our suffering so that he might suffer for us so that one day he might end suffering forever. Think about it this way. Jesus could have avoided suffering himself. He had the power to stop the suffering that he was experiencing. He could have, one, never come and never entered our suffering, or even when he was here, he could have stopped it at any moment. And yet he did it. Yet he suffered He suffered so that one day he might end suffering forever. So does pain and suffering in your life mean God doesn't love you? No. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. He's not indifferent. 
and I'm caring towards your suffering because he suffered with you and for you. At the cross, we learn that Jesus isn't distant and unconcerned about our pain, but that he cared so much that he was, he was so hurt by our pain that he came to feel the ultimate pain so that he might take yours away. That sounds an awfully lot like love to me. That he didn't use his power to save himself suffering, but rather he used his power to suffer for you. So if we can know that God loves us in the midst of suffering, we have to deal with the other problem. If God is all-powerful, why doesn't he stop suffering? Why doesn't he snap his fingers and quit it? And if, if God doesn't stop my suffering, that must mean that he's not all-powerful. This is the question that gets asked in verse 37. By one of the Jews looking on, they say, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? That's the question. Look at all this pain and suffering and evil. Couldn't Jesus have stopped it? I mean, look, Jesus has been doing all these other miracles. He's been healing the blind and healing the lame, healing all these types of people. Why could he not also heal his friend? Why didn't he also not heal me? Maybe it's because it was beyond his power. Maybe the reason God doesn't stop suffering and evil in the world is simply because he can't do it. Maybe it's beyond his reach. Maybe God isn't all-powerful after all. Maybe there's simply just no God. It was an accusation then, and it's an accusation today. Someone today might say, if there was an all-powerful God, he would not allow suffering like this to take place in our world or my life. So the question is, should we continue to believe in God in spite of the fact that God does not wield his power to end suffering? But here's the thing. We actually know the reason he doesn't heal Lazarus. We know why he delays two days. We know that in spite of his love for him, why he allows Lazarus to continue to go through this suffering and Mary and Martha to continue to go through this suffering. This morning, you can know that in the midst of suffering, it's not because God is not all-powerful. Just notice what happens. Jesus asks the sisters uh, where they've laid his friend Lazarus, and the sisters take him over to this tomb. And there is this big, big cave-like tomb, and there's a big rock that has been rolled in front of the entrance. Sound familiar? Hold on to that. So here's Jesus with this tomb with this rock in the front, and they still don't get it yet. Jesus goes up to the tomb, and he tells them to move the stone, and they're like, hold on a minute. It's going to be stinky. It's going to smell. He's been in there four days. His body is decomposing. So they still don't get what he's doing. They, they, they're still, uh, one, there's no doubt that this man is dead, and two, they don't have no idea what Jesus is doing. So they move the stone and all these people around Jesus are watching, and those sisters are watching. What is he up to? What on earth is he doing? They move the stone away, and the crowds gather, and you could probably have heard a pin drop as they watched. And here Jesus, looking up at this tomb, he prays. He says, God, thank you. He talks to God for a minute. Thank you that all these people are here so they can see what's about to happen. And everybody looks on. And Jesus looks up at this rocked, moved tomb, 
And he just simply looks at it and he says, Lazarus, come out. Can you imagine what the people around would have thought? Like, what is this guy doing? What is he yelling about? I wonder how long it took from the moment Jesus spoke those words until everyone looked up and saw the shadowy figure emerge from the tomb, still wrapped in the cloths of his, of his grave cloths. Can you imagine the looks on their faces as they saw the dead man come walking out? Can you imagine the shock and the disbelief See, guys, we can know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is all-powerful because with a single word, he can take life and put it into death and reverse it. You see, oftentimes, though it is within God's power to end our suffering, there is reasons and purpose that God allows it to continue. That morning, the reason was so that everyone around them could see Jesus was who he said he was and they might believe in him. When they, when they saw him raise someone from the dead. And listen, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that when you're suffering, you're going to know the reason why God is allowing it to happen. But what I can tell you is that God is good. The fact that he allows it to happen means that there is a good reason he wants us to walk through it. However, even though Jesus may be allowing us to walk through suffering, he's not using his power to stop it. Here's what we know. In the fact that he has done this resurrection, in the fact that he's raised Lazarus from the dead, it shows us two things. One, it shows us that Jesus has come to put an end to all pain and suffering forever. With all the miracles that Jesus is performing, uh, healing the blind, healing the deaf, uh, making the lame walk again, raising the dead, he is signaling clearly that in his kingdom, there will be no pain. There will be no uh, hips and knee replacements. There will be no medication. There will be no wheelchairs. There will be no diagnosis. There will be no bad phone calls. There is no death, no pain, no suffering in his kingdom. And that will be forever. But the second thing, and this is the important thing about this miracle. Jesus has come not only to end the pain and suffering, but to undo it. There are a lot of mistakes that we can make in our lives that we can undo. You're typing something up, you mess up, you hit control Z, undo. Your kid accidentally steals M&Ms from the grocery store, you can take them back. No harm done, undo. You can speak a harsh word to a friend and apologize, make amends and fix it. It's un you can undo it. But there are some things in life that are impossible for us to undo. And the biggest one is death. Death is final. Death has the last word. There is no cure for death. There is no medication you can take for death. There is no option. There is no reversing it. It is final. But in this story, Jesus is showing us what would seem to be final, what seems impossible to undo, what seems irreversible, what seems to have the last word actually doesn't. That Jesus is the resurrection and the life and has the power of the whole universe within his grasp. And with a word, he can simply turn back the clock. He can turn back decay. 
He makes lungs that are deflated, filled with air. Hearts that are dead begin to beat. He makes what was once dead alive again. Jesus makes impossible possible. Jesus undoes what can't be undone. You see, here's our great hope. It is not simply that Jesus is one day going to end pain and suffering forever, but that he's going to reverse it, that he's going to undo it. He has not simply come to put a stop to our pain, but to undo it. He has come to turn back the clock to fix that, was, that which is unfixable. It's so funny. When Jesus is talking to his disciples, do you remember what he called it? He said, Lazarus has fallen asleep. Lazarus has fallen asleep, and we go to wake him. Because for Jesus to raise the dead is as easy as it is to rouse someone from their sleep. So the world says, God cannot exist because if an all-loving, all-powerful God existed, he wouldn't allow the suffering. But what the world refuses to see is that if we have a God who loved us so much, that when he looked down on the pain and suffering of this world, he could not stand by and do nothing. Instead, he came and entered our suffering. Not only did Jesus experience suffering, but he goes and he lays down his life on a cross. And when he does that, He's actually taking all of the pain and all of the suffering and all of the curses of this world, all of the evil of this world, burying it in his own body so much so that all of that killed him. So here is Jesus who's absorbed all of the curse and broken sin, suffering of this world, and they take his lifeless corpse, the Son of God, and they lay him in a tomb and they roll a stone in front of it. And here we hear the same question. Could not this man who kept, or could not this man who made the blind see and the the lame walk also have kept himself from dying? Was Jesus not powerful enough to save himself? Of course he was. Of course he was. Jesus in a moment, what could he, he could have called on the cross, called down legions of angels to rescue him. He could have simply spoken, teleported somewhere else. He could have done many different things to stop the suffering he was experiencing. But if he did, if he had called down legions of angels to rescue him, if he stopped his own suffering, he would not have been able to stop yours. See, God's power is on display. You want to know if God is all-powerful? His power is on display at the moment when he chose not to use it. Jesus' power is on display at the moment when he decided to not use it and to allow suffering to enter and kill him. And is that not what an all-loving God looks like? A God who suffers and dies to save his people from suffering. The all-loving, all-powerful God laid down his power so that day he could demonstrate just how much he loved us, that he literally loved us to death. And so there, Jesus lay dead, lifeless body in a tomb, rock rolled in front. And the third day had come, and his, de, uh, his, his corpse decaying, beginning to smell, the smell blocked by the trapped rock. There were no loud voices crying. There was no one coming saying, Jesus, come forth. There were no crowds of people wondering what Jesus was going to do next. There was no, uh, everyone thought the story of Jesus was over. 
because death is final. It was the end. And all alone, in the quiet, dark, empty tomb, his heart begins to beat. Blood begins to flow. Lungs fill with air. That which was dead is alive. That which was final is undone. The stone is rolled away and out walks the Son of God. And in that moment, Jesus defeated pain, defeated suffering, and defeated death itself. And now, Jesus is doing the same thing in the whole world. You right now may be in the midst of suffering. You may be in the midst of pain and your heart is breaking. Maybe you're in anguish. Maybe you're suffering. I want you to know that Jesus knows your pain. He has experienced pain and agony himself. But not only has he come to stop it, but he has actually come to undo it. He's actually come to reverse it. He's actually come to turn the clock backward and right the wrongs that have caused your pain and suffering. As C.S. Lewis says, he has come to turn the worst agony into a glory. See, so, so pain and suffering is not a reason to deny the existence of God. In fact, Christianity gives us something nothing else can give. The world gives you medicine. The world gives you an operation. Those are only band-aids. Christianity gives us hope. God entered the world to end and undo all pain and suffering ever, to turn back the clock on your pain. He gives us hope that is sure, hope that will last, hope that reverses even death. So for those who put their faith and trust in Christ, pain and suffering are but temporary realities that we can face now even though they are gut-wrenching. We know one day God will speak but a word and he will roll back the clock and all of those tragedies that we've walked through, all of those heartbreaking things that we've walked through will be undone. One day Jennifer will hold her little baby girl in her arms again, not simply up in heaven as some soul floating around, but as raised from the dead. See, we can face the dark night of the soul because we know that death will not have the last word. That our Lord suffered for us so that we could one day take ours forever. Christianity gives us hope in the midst of suffering because unlike the problem of evil says, we have a God who does love us, who suffered for us, and we have a God who is all powerful and will not allow suffering to stand. He will not allow suffering to stand. Death will not have the last word. He will reverse it forever. And when suffering is too much to handle, when you are in the dark night of the soul and you wonder maybe God simply is not, does not exist because he has allowed this ter- terrible, awful thing to happen to me. Remember the empty tomb. Remember the stone rolled away. And let it remind you that there is no pain or suffering or evil so great. God's power and his love will not one day turn back the clock and reverse it and undo it forever. Death will not have the final word. Life will. 
And if you are in Christ, you can have hope because though you die, yet shall you live. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. And there is many stories in this room. Many stories of bad phone calls, many stories of horrific news, many stories of tragedy and heartbreak. But not only that, Father, there are many stories yet to be told. There are many in this room who have no idea what's coming. They don't know about the phone call that they might get this afternoon. They may have no idea the phone call they may get a year from now. They have no idea the news that they will have to endure, the hospital rooms they will have to kneel in and pray in and plead for mercy and plead for healing in. We have no idea the kinds of tragedies that might come. But God, in the midst of those, in the midst of that heartache, in the midst of those pain, in the midst of that suffering, would you help us to remember and to know that not only do you know our suffering and that when we're angry, we're in good company and that it's okay to be mad, it's okay to be angry, it's okay to be sad, but would you remind us that you will not let death have the last word, that you will not let our pain and suffering have the final word, but that you will turn back the clock and undo all that sin has wrought in this world, all that the curse has wrought in this world, all that death seemed to reign, that you will have the final word. God, remind us of that so that we might endure pain and suffering now. We don't have the reasons. We don't know why you allow it. We don't know why you would send us through these things. Help us to trust that you are good and lean on your mercy and know that you will turn back the clock. Father, for those in this room who know you, would you give them the endurance to, and the hope to be able to take past suffering and know it's okay to hurt, it's okay to cry, it's okay to be angry, And at the same time, have hope that you're going to make it right. You're going to fix it. You're going to undo it. You're going to raise the dead. Father, for those in this room who don't know you, who maybe like church, maybe want to be religious, maybe just believe in God, but deep down they're they're not followers or disciples. They don't trust in Christ. They've never done that. And if they were to face suffering, they would not get through it because they don't have a suffering Savior to cling to. Uh, this morning, would you show them that they can come, they can find hope and life, they can have peace in a God who is all-loving and all-powerful and who will end suffering forever. If you're here this morning and you're grieving, you're hurting from something in your past, something in your present, Maybe you just need to come and pray this morning. Let one of us pray with you or come kneel up here and pray and say, God, give me me that hope. Help me to cling and trust in that hope. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you want to find out what he's all about. We would love to show you. Come up here and talk to us as we sing this song. Let's stand, let's sing, and let's believe. God, give us the strength. In Christ's name we pray, all people said.